Welcome to A Drop in the Bucket with Tim and Lisa. Real discussions on aging well and doing it your way. We will be discussing all the things that may be on your bucket list and also those things that may be dropped into your bucket. Life is an adventure and the road ahead can be uncertain. Our hope is to open your mind to alternatives, new ideas and approaches to all things aging and to help you do it on your terms. That is right, Tim. And this morning we have an exciting program. We have a guest today, Dr. Kim Baker, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and the CEO of KB Psychology. Dr. Kim received her doctorate in clinical psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in 2008. After obtaining her license in 2009, she immediately began working in long-term care setting, providing psychotherapy and neuropsychological assessment for older adults. Today with Dr. Kim, we're going to be talking about her current business that she began in 2015 called KB Psychology. And this is, she leads a team of social workers and psychologists in the psychological diagnoses and treatment of a range of different mental health conditions. Good morning, Dr. Kim. We are so glad to have you on the show this morning and to talk about mental health because heaven knows we all need a little mental health, don't we? We sure do. So I'd love to start with your your business, KB Psychology. Tell us... Tell us a little bit about that that business and, and what you do. Sure. First of all, thank you, Lisa and Ken, for inviting me onto your podcast. It is such a great honor. I'm very honored to be here. So KB Psychology is short for KB Psychological Practice. And we we're a two we're a two program program. Our main program focuses on providing supportive psychotherapy for older adults and long-term care providing family therapy for the families of loved ones in long-term care, providing training for staff on dementia and cognitive impairment and those types of illnesses so that they're able to, you know, take care of their residents in a, in a good way. And then our other program is an online therapy program that I launched back in 2020 in response to COVID. The program started out as a, a online therapy program for caregivers. So people who were in the business of taking care of other people during that time. And it just sort of spread and people heard about it. And so I opened it up to the general public. So now anyone who is experiencing any type of mental distress, emotional distress can also take advantage of our online therapy program. That's great news. And later in the show, we'll make sure that you give our audience the ways that they can reach you and, and log on to that or contact you, whatever needs to be done. So we'll, sure. we'll, we'll let's not forget that. Well, good. So I always say that getting old is not for sissies. And <laughs> I mean it. The older I get, the more I realize that my body's just not what it used to be. My brain is not what it used to be. And you're not as strong, as fast, as as thin, as, as pretty, as <laughs> agile, you know, just to name a few things, right? And absolutely. It can absolutely. be sad. It can be sad, and it takes time to get your head in the game, right? Sure, sure. You know, I tell older adults all the time, 
growing old is in and of itself a great accomplishment. You know, a lot of people are afforded the privilege of getting old. So people who do get old, they've dodged, you know, fatal accidents, premature death, you know, these things that kill the young people. And that's a privilege, but still many, many people have a fear of growing old. So what are what are some common fears? What do you what do you encounter? So lots of fears around losing independence, so the ability to do things for themselves when they want to, fears of dying, fears of losing a spouse, fears of losing themselves, their sense of self, their sense of purpose. A lot of older adults feel like they are a burden on their family members. There are financial worries, of course. Is the money going to run out? But the biggest worry that I have encountered in my practice is that of developing Alzheimer's or any type of neurological disease that leads to having a dysfunctional brain. And the the fear is valid, you know, because the greatest risk factor of developing dementia is age. Mm-hmm. So it's it greater than, you know, having a disease is greater than you know, if my mother had dementia, the older you get, the more likely it is that you will develop dementia. Hmm. And, and that's bad news. Well, <laughs> sure. I hate to bring bad news so early in the morning. That's the bad news. But the good news is that there are some lifestyle changes that you can make, regardless of how old you are, that can drastically reduce your risk of developing dementia and allow you to live a full and satisfying life. Right. Well, I can say that, you know, I lost my mom to Alzheimer's and it was it was a sad slow Mm -hmm. death I I hate to say it that way but I just I watched it unfold before my eyes so I understand the fear and I I probably share in that fear I'm a little too young to be consumed by it at this point but Mm -hmm. I I gather that Mm -hmm. at at some time that will grip me and hopefully today I'm going to learn some great tools Right? right? Absolutely, you are. <laughs> Good. Absolutely. Are there any recommendations, by the way, doctor, that you give, you know, as far as the, the clients that you're working with and you're talking with seniors that you think, you know, is beneficial to them as far as, you know, brain exercises, uh, puzzles, anything, those type of things at all? Absolutely. We're going to get into that in just a minute. So I'm going to discuss some strategies that older adults can use as well as younger folks it doesn't matter the age because at any age you can take steps to either reverse cognitive decline that you've already experienced or to prevent it from happening or to slow down the progression so a lot of these strategies that i'm going to talk about in a minute are what are the strategies that we recommend for our older adults got it can you help us understand how the brain works and what happens to it as we age? Sure. So the brain is a very complex organ of the body. And it's really interesting because the brain only weighs three pounds, but it does so much. Mm-hmm. It monitors our daily activities and it communicates with other organs in our body. So our brain is made up of billions of cells called neurons. And these brain cells communicate with each other and with the, with the organs in our body, like our muscles, for example. So if you want to move your hand, 
your brain sends a message to the muscles in your hand telling those muscles to contract and that's how your hand moves so these neurons that are in the brain and the cells throughout the whole body they send signals to one another and those signals create our reality or our experience of the world every experience that we have i find this so fascinating Every experience that we have boils down to these tiny cells in our body and in our brain communicating with each other and talking to one another. And that's how we experience our world. So as we age, that communication process starts to break down because we experience what's called neuronal death. So the neurons in our brain, just like our body ages and breaks down, the neurons in our brain they age and they break down they basically just reach the end of their life cycle and as they die the communication between neurons and cells is lost so they're the cells aren't talking to each other anymore and this is going to affect your ability to do a lot of things physical things as well as performing cognitive tasks you know being able to think clearly learning remembering memorizing all those things So there's the difference between what's normal and what would be termed disease. Absolutely. And that's what's really important to recognize because, again, one of the fears of people, a great fear of growing older is that they're going to, they're going to have dementia. And the truth is everybody experiences some age-related cognitive decline. It's normal. Normal forgetfulness or not being able to focus or attend. But when a person has dementia, that cognitive impairment and that memory loss is much more severe than you would expect for a person of that age. And the the greatest the greatest differentiator between normal age-related cognitive loss and dementia is that the impairment interferes with their ability to function in everyday life. So that's the key factor. So the cognitive decline is incredibly severe and it impacts a person's ability to function independently. When we see that, then we know we're looking at something a little bit more severe than normal brain aging. Right. That's 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 interesting because we all wonder why we walked into a room and then stop and think, <laughs> oh, my gosh, is it happening now? I don't even know why I'm here, but you're saying that that's that's kind of normal, right? That's normal. That is normal. Please tell me it's normal. It's absolutely normal. And, you know, a lot of things could contribute to that. It could be age-related brain loss. It could be stress. It could be pressure. You know, it could be a lot of different things. But if you notice that you're going in the wrong your room and forgetting why you came in there several times a day, and you're getting lost when you go outside, you're becoming disoriented, you don't know where you are, you know, the more extreme it is, the more severe it is, then it might be time to talk to your doctor about what's going on. And that's interesting. I I wanna say that our listeners are probably wondering what, you know, is there a test? Is there something that if you're living with someone and you're maybe getting concerned about them or your parent, your parent lives alone still, and you're starting to wonder, is there is there a short little litmus or a quiz or anything that our listeners might use to check that? 
You know, the best course of action, if, if a loved one is starting to exhibit these symptoms and you're becoming worried that this might be a little bit more severe than normal, the best course of action is to contact the, the physician. So the person's physician right. and to explain to them what you see happening. The physician will do one of two things. The physician might do a little test in the office. There's a test called the mini mental status exam. There's a test called the MOCA. There are these little sort of screening measures that give an idea about where the dysfunction is. So is it memory? Is it organization and planning? Is it sequencing? And then if the person scores high enough on that assessment, then the physician will refer them to a neurologist or a neuropsychologist. And then they would do a more extensive evaluation that measures all of these different brain functionings, all of these different areas to get a complete picture of what's going on, you know. And so I would not recommend that, you know, a person finds an assessment online and does that with their loved one. First of all, I think their loved one might resent that a little. And, you, you know, you might not understand how to interpret the results. So definitely consult your physician or a professional. I think that's great. I think that's great advice. So you have a great acronym that breaks down many of the elements one should incorporate into life in order to age well. Let's dig into that. Sure. So actually, I can't take credit for the acronym. It's not mine. It is. It was coined by a psychiatrist named Brent Forrester out of Harvard. And he created this acronym to describe strategies to promote healthy brain aging. And what he knew is that it, it would be better to make a clever acronym because people would remember it. And so the acronym is DANCERS, D-A-N-C-E-R-S. And each letter in the word describes a strategy or a certain lifestyle activity that if you modify it, it can lead to improved brain health and improved overall quality of life. It's not mine, but I wholeheartedly agree with his theory and his strategies. And so I present that strategy to everybody I know. <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. So let's let's start with it. Start us off and, and tell us where it begins and what it looks like. Sure. So the first letter in dancers is D. And so we'll start with disease management. So there are some things that, you know, we don't have any control over, but there are some things that we do have control over. If you adopt a healthy lifestyle, you're much more likely to live longer. But living longer also increases the risk of developing a number of chronic diseases. And some of these chronic diseases like diabetes, heart disease, cancers, they are a great risk factor for developing dementia and other types of cognitive impairment. So it's a double-edged sword. You know, the older you get, the more likely it is that you, you know, it increases your risk of developing some sort of chronic disease and that disease can lead to dementia. But most chronic illnesses are preventable or even manageable with education and a change in lifestyle. So if you modify certain behaviors, you can reduce your risk of developing these illnesses and thereby reduce your risk of developing dementia. Right, well, that's good. So. So what's what's one, give us one example of that. An example of? 
of a disease a oh, okay. that you can manage. Yeah. Okay, so great because we this moves right into the next letter of our okay. acronym, which is A. Hmm. And the first thing that you can do is to get active, basically get active. Of all the strategies that I'll talk about today to age gracefully, exercise is by far the best preventative measure to ward off chronic illness and brain disease. Exercise is good for the body and the brain. So in the brain, remember I talked about earlier how as we get older, we lose neurons, you know, our, our those cells die um, naturally. But exercise actually increases neuronal activity in the brain. So of the cells that you still have, it increases their conversation with each other. You know, they, okay. they talk to each other more. And this leads to increased, for you, increased alertness, increased attention, memory, and it can even regenerate dying brain cells. Hmm. Fascinating. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you exercise, you're you're increasing your heart rate. And when you increase your heart rate, that causes more oxygen to flow throughout your body and your brain, which causes both of them to run more efficiently. Exercise has also been shown to further, to slow down the deterioration of those who already have started to experience cognitive decline. So there's lots of benefits. And of course there are benefits for your body as well. But the bottom line is getting active helps to repair your brain. Mm -hmm. Are there, are there specific types of exercises, doctor, that you would recommend? And, and if so, you know, how much is, is enough, would you say? Absolutely. So the, the World Health Organization recommends that adults over the age of 65, but I would say anybody, mm -hmm. this is like the bare minimum, engage in 150 minutes of exercise a week. So if you break that down, it's like, 20 minutes a day for right. seven days or 30 minutes a day for five days, you know, however you want to break it down. Mm -hmm. And you can also break it down even further. So if you, if you do 30 minutes a day for five days, you could do 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon, sure. 10 minutes before bed, which makes it a little bit easier. The exercises that are recommended are aerobics exercise, strength and resistance training and yoga. And those are like the, the better of the exercises, but any type of exercise, anything that you do can slow down the progression of cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The, the whole point is to just get moving. <laughs> get moving. Exactly. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. A lot of people don't don't move or feel like they can't move because they're in mm -hmm. pain. They have back issues and and, and and lots of a myriad of issues, let's just say. And with that myriad of issues come a myriad of excuses. So any <laughs> tips on any tips on that? Like how do you get moving if you're not a person who's been moving your whole life? Yeah, that's that's a good question and that's a good point to bring up. You know, not only could they be out of shape and they're not used to moving. Why was I? I just lost my whole train of thought. <laughs> well, welcome. Uh -oh. Welcome. You're welcome to my world, doctor. Every day, doctor. Every day. <laughs> Maybe I need to practice some of these tips a little bit more than I'm that I'm explaining to you all. But okay. 
So if you've never done any exercise or if you don't regularly do exercise, it's it's not expected that you're going to go out and run a marathon, you know. Sure. It's not expected, and if you try to do it, you probably hurt yourself. But you can kind of ease into adding movement into your everyday life and activities. Again, the whole point is to get moving. So, for example, you could park further away from the the, the grocery store, the door at the grocery store, so you got to walk farther. Sure. You could take the stairs instead of the elevator. You can do light squats when you brush your teeth. Go for a walk while you're talking on the phone to a mm-hmm. friend. Just these little things, little things. When you're sitting you know, at your desk or on your couch, do leg lifts. These little things, their activity and its movement, and all of these things increase the blood flow to your brain and to your body, which can help to ward off certain cognitive impairments. I have clients who are mall walkers. <laughs> mall walking is a thing, and especially in a climate where it gets cold in the winter and you really can't be outside even safely, right, because of ice and snow or whatever, but they go to the mall. And one of the best parts that I hear from them is the community, right? Because they meet friends there and they've made new friends there and they walk together and the stores aren't open yet. And it's just mall walkers at the mall walking. So there's probably so many options out there. If you just look in your own community, I know some of the park districts have chair yoga and, and things that people can plug into very easily maybe that's something that we can offer as a resource on the website. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll make sure that we get something up there that can Wonderful. point people in the right direction. Okay, so activities number one and the most important, what comes next? So after activities, so in our whole dancer's analogy, we've moved on to the letter N. And N stands for nutrition. Uh-oh. And for- <laughs> Yes, nobody wants to talk about this. Right. But exercise and nutrition go hand in hand. To be healthy, and that's physical health and brain health, you have to do both. You have to exercise and you have to eat well. We know that there's a direct relationship between the foods that we eat and the functioning of our brain. And a healthy diet can lead to the production of new neurons. Remember, we talked about how when you get older, the neurons die. Once they die, there's no more communication between that neuron and other neurons in the brain and other cells in the body, which is what causes the aging process. So a healthy diet can lead to the production of new neurons, and it can also increase communication between neurons. Mm -hmm. The more connections you have between neurons, the better they can communicate and the better you're able to learn, think, and remember. So just like when you buy an expensive car, you have to put premium fuel in it. We hate to do it because gas is like $6 a gallon right now. Oh, yeah. But if you buy an expensive car, you have to put premium fuel in it. A healthy diet is the same way. Your body is like that car. And in order for, in order for it to function effectively, you have to give it premium fuel. So that's good foods so that it can function more efficiently. I know that the brain diet or the it's Mediterranean, isn't it, is something that we yeah. hear a lot about in, in the senior world, in the aging world. 
there are plenty of presentations on that Mediterranean diet, which is primarily fish and vegetables, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And I want nothing to do with it. It doesn't include get McDonald's. That away from me. <laughs> yes. Then you got to get creative when you make those fish and vegetables because it could get you know a little bland and boring. Yeah. Right. But so the reason why these and I'll talk about the reason why these foods are good. So fish and things like flax seeds, avocados, walnuts, they contain a lot of omega-3 fatty acids. And these fatty acids are an essential nutrient. And what that means is we can only get get those nutrients through what we eat because our body can't make them. So in order to get them, you got to consume foods that have it. And these these omega-3 fatty acids can help to prevent inflammation in the brain. So prevent the, the neurons from becoming inflamed because inflammation of the neurons can lead to a lot of negative cognitive effects that I talked about earlier, like losing your memory, having difficulty paying attention, those sorts of things. And so you want to prevent that. Leafy green vegetables like kale and spinach and broccoli, they're rich in brain-healthy nutrients like vitamin K, lutamine, folate, and beta-carotene. Yum, yum. (laughs) Yeah, and these plant-based foods have been shown to slow cognitive decline. Berries are also good, like strawberries and blueberries. One study found that older adults who included berries in their diet delayed memory decline by two and a half years Mm -hmm. so what you eat really matters and also i don't really like talking about this but it's i mean the truth is the truth red wine has also been associated with a reduced risk of developing dementia now i'm not advocating that you go out and buy a bottle of red wine tonight and, and drink the whole bottle i'm a doctor that would be irresponsible of me but the science is the science if you have a glass if you drink in moderation it can help to reverse some of the effects of of cognitive impairment but of course don't 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 do it in excess (laughs) i'm in favor i'm in favor of that addition the whole western suburbs (laughs) all the ladies are going to be fantastic well she didn't say chardonnay she did say red wine (laughs) well it's funny last night i made an arugula salad with olive oil and fresh squeezed lemon and I put just a little salt and parmesan shaved parmesan and I love it that's like one of my favorite salads you should have seen the look on my husband's face Mm. he was like what is this I'm like you don't like it he's like not really and it was so good to me but you know it was delicious delicious. I thought I ate almost the whole thing because he was making those faces I remember my boys making when they were five and six and I tried to introduce some new green thing into their world so Mm -hmm. needless Mm -hmm. to say it's acquired at least for some also it also requires a a change in mindset you know Mm. because if you have been eating a certain way your whole life, just like if you've been doing anything for a long period of time, it's hard to change that habit and do something different. So if you have to kind of think about why you're doing it. You know, you have to, I want to grow older. You know, I want to grow older in a healthy way. I want to 
be alert and be able to remember when I grow older. And if you keep that in the forefront of your mind, it gives you a reason and a purpose for changing your diet, which will increase the likelihood, increase your motivation, you know, increase the likelihood that you will stick with it. Right. Good. Well, that's, that's, that's a good note because maybe having something up in front of you, right on the refrigerator or a reminder, I want to grow old, take care, take care of me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Lisa. Okay. So what's the next letter in our acronym? So the next letter is C and it refers to cognitive stimulation. And, you know, a lot of people want to know if there's any truth in doing brain games. Do brain games actually help improve brain function? There was a big explosion of brain games, uh, Lumosity and all these other apps and whatnot that claim that if you you know, engage in these activities daily, it would help to improve your brain health. And the truth is, we don't really know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The truth is we don't know. The jury is out on it. So there's many studies, there have been many studies conducted to determine the true effectiveness of these mentally stimulating activities on brain health. But the problem is, When the scientists conduct these studies, it's hard to determine whether or not the improvement or lack thereof has anything to do with the cognitive stimulation because there's so many other factors that can cause an effect or a non-effect. For example, the brain is so powerful that just the expectation of improvement can actually lead to improvement. It's called the placebo effect. So what really caused the improvement? Was it the game or the expectation of improvement? It's just really hard to measure. So the jury is out on whether or not these games or crossword puzzles or any of that actually improves brain health. But what we do know is that putting the brain to work has benefits. So especially novel things, doing something that you've never done before, learning something new, listening to different types of music, taking a walk on a different side of town, anything new. Because what that does is it promotes new ways for brain cells to communicate with one another. It creates new paths in your brain. And that new path creates more, it generates more, more energy and which causes more activity to happen in the brain, which is a good thing. So the bottom line is we don't know if if brain games improve brain health, but new learning does. So definitely do crossword puzzles, definitely, you know, play a game on your computer. And and if it's new, it's good for you. New is good. Well, Kim, you do a lot of drum circles. Are you familiar with drum circles, Dr. Kim? I am not. Oh. You certainly know, though, doctor, with music, how important that is, especially with our seniors. When I work a lot with seniors, you know, unfortunately diagnosed with some form of dementia, and the the benefits are unbelievable. To see somebody who is um, has a form of aphasia and in able to unable to communicate or mm-hmm. really withdrawn in most of the events, but you know, you have music playing and performing, and it's a world's difference. Certainly, absolutely. When I do this presentation in person with with seniors, I always do a little segment where I'll play a song. (laughs) I call it the boogie time. We take a boogie break 
music, listening to music has so many healing properties. But as far as, you know, cognitively stimulating, it touches on so many areas of the brain. And it's also very soothing. It's relaxing. Nine times out of 10, you're going to get up and dance. So the movement, which sort of sort of connects with the whole exercising, that's sure. important. So listening to music and exercising, moving, that's all beneficial for you. So yeah, all over, like all around, music is a great tool to use to help with brain health. Right. Love that. So it leads us to our next letter which is E, which stands for engagement. Lisa, you talked earlier about how the seniors walk in the mall yes. and how one of the, the great benefits of that is socializing with other people, the community of people who do this together. And socialization is incredibly important for not just brain health, but mental health and physical health. When we're socially engaged, we're less likely to be affected by loneliness and depression. So social isolation is a big trigger for mental illness. And to combat that, it's important that you develop and maintain supportive relationships with family and friends or neighbors or whatever. Studies have also shown that the number and strength of your social relationships is linked to a healthier immune system, quicker recovery from disease, and it can even lengthen your life, which is very interesting. Social interaction has been shown to contribute to a higher level of cognitive functioning. In fact, the size of your social network matters. Those who have larger social networks are less likely to develop dementia compared to those with smaller circles. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. When you're engaged in conversation with other people, you're using so many different areas of your brain. You're you're learning new information from the other person's perspective. You're imagining what they're talking about, exercising that creative part of the brain. And you have to use language and memory to tell stories and to communicate. So engaging in social interaction puts your brain to work. And we already have learned that the more work that your brain does, the greater health it will have over time. Now, I want to I want to interject something here cuz I find it fascinating that women tend to have more friends by and large in in most of in most of the couple friends that we have. It's the women's relationships that bring the couples together. My husband has a couple of friends mm-hmm. and <laughs> it seems like all of our socializing I'm usually planning it. It's usually with my friends and their husbands. Occasionally, he'll see his friends, and it's wonderful when he does. But mm-hmm. what I find interesting is that stat- statistics show that more women have dementia, don't they? Actually, yes. But going back to the beginning of my presentation where I talked about some of the fears that people have about growing old, women tend to outlive men. You know, they they live much longer than men. And again, the older you get, the more likely it is that you will develop 
dementia. So that's that's definitely a factor that comes into play. Okay, okay. Interesting, though, when I think about the social world. I mean, I have so many friends, and yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm so grateful for that because I'm I'm connected to them all the time. So that's that is a huge thing, and and I hope I can continue that. And do you have a lot of friends, Tim? No. You don't? don't? No. Really? And I prefer it that way. You do? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Huh. Yeah. But women You're are not just, lonely. You don't feel not lonely. Not in the slightest bit. No. No. It's interesting. Well, then, think of it this way. You know, social socialization is just one of the ways to pr- promote brain health. And for me, and I suppose a lot of women, socialization is an easier way to promote brain health than exercising and eating right. So mm-hmm. there's a little balance there. So I'll do more socializing and less exercising and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, set the scales. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, with our with our uh, next letter, doctor. This yeah, is, sure. This is a tough one for me. <laughs> yeah. This is probably the yeah. hardest one of all. I think that, you know, we live in such a crazy world, don't we? We do. We and do. and um R stands for relaxation, and that is, at almost any age, a difficult thing to do. Certainly, especially in this day and age. The world gives us plenty of reason to worry and to be anxious. And it's hard to manage worry and anxiety when we're faced with so many daily stressors. How do you relax when you feel like you have no control over what's happening in the world and in your world. And so many people find themselves in this constant state of anxiety because they feel like they, they're they powerless to change or control what is happening around them. And they keep the TV on. The TV is on <laughs> all day. And they yes. watch CNN loop throughout the day. I can't tell you how many, not just my senior clients, but my friends, my relatives, and I know that they are watching just on repeat this terrible event that may have just occurred, and they it's on the entire day while they're doing their housework, while they're eating. It's in the background, the drone of whatever event has happened replays itself, and I, I worry for them. I worry that people don't turn that off. Absolutely. You know, I remember during COVID, every day they we, we were being bombarded with the deaths and the number of COVID cases and COVID's right. coming to your neighborhood real soon. And, you know, all the doom and gloom, the, the economy could be tanking. We might be going into a recession. And I remember just watching it all the time and getting to a point to where I could feel it in my body. You know, I could just feel the sense of overwhelm, the the fear, the just the it's fear, basically the fear. And I noticed that in my body and I had to like take take breaks from it. You know, it's one thing to be informed, but there's a whole nother thing to overexpose yourself to this type of stimuli because your body has a whole reaction to that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what do you suggest? Are there any tips for for our listeners on on how to just? Uh, I got plenty of them. But yeah. To hear from that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I suppose before I kind of talk about how the best way to relax, I think just a quick sort of 
lesson on what happens to the body when we're feeling stressed might be important. So anxiety is a fear-based emotional response. And the underlying cause of that fear is feeling like you don't have any control over what's happening. And your body responds to that. You have an actual physiological response to what your body perceives as a threat. And this threat could be real, like, you know, there's a bear charging towards you, or it could be imagined. So you can be thinking about or worrying about something that's going to happen in the future. Your body responds the same way, regardless. Fascinating. And this response is a good thing because it's an adaptive thing. We have evolved to have this response because it protects us, you know, against dangerous situations, that bear that's coming after us. But if you're in, if you're constantly in this state of arousal, it can have devastating effects on your physical, mental, and cognitive health. And for people who suffer from anxiety, which is about 260 million people in the world, this stress system or this reaction rarely shuts down. So they're constantly on edge. And you can imagine watching the news 24 hours a day doesn't help. It contributes to this thing on edge. And chronic stress and anxiety has been shown to lead to structural damages in the brain that are responsible for memory. And it also increases your risk of developing dementia. So with that being said, that's why it's so important to learn how to relax. There are many ways that you can relax, but one of the best ways to relax is through meditation or mindfulness meditation. I know we're running short on time, so I won't do one or go into deep a deep dive into it, but basically meditation is a set of techniques or, or practices that are intended to encourage a heightened state of awareness and focused attention. It involves focusing all of your attention on a specific thing while tuning out everything else around you. And the goal is to experience whatever it is that you choose to focus on so that you can reach a higher state of being. The goal isn't to stop thinking about everything altogether because that's unrealistic. We, you know, our brain is constantly going. But the goal is to focus your mind on one thing and notice that you're having these intrusive thoughts, you know, that are trying to interfere with your focus and bringing your mind back to that thing that you're focused mm. focused on. This practice has been shown to shut down the, the release of the, the stress hormones that are released into your bloodstream during a, an anxiety episode or when you're stressed. And it promotes the release of chemicals in the brain that act as natural tranquilizers. So it's your body's natural way of calming down, of relaxing, and you have control over it. Um, Again, people who are anxious and stressed feel like they have no control over what's happening in their world, but you do have control over what happens in your body. You can actually change your physiological response just by learning how to meditate, breathing, taking a moment to focus on one thing to the exclusion of another. Hmm. We we should probably plan a podcast just around <laughs> meditation. That would that sure. would be a wonderful thing. I think there's so many folks out there, our listeners included, who would love some tips and tricks on on how to do that because you really can do it anywhere, right? 
anywhere, anytime, you know, for as, as little or as more time as you want. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Well, and that leads nicely into your, your last one. Yes. The last letter of the acronym is S, which refers to sleeping. And a lot of older adults, my mom included, in fact, I was just talking about talking about my mom, talking to my mom about this the other day. She has low-graded anxiety, and she has a hard time sleeping at night. And so she takes Tylenol PMs mm. to help her sleep. And I told her, Mom, <laughs> you can't do that. And she's like, why not? I've been taking them forever. So uh, sleep aids in and of themselves are not a problem. You know, they're a great tool to help us to relax. But overuse of these sleep aids and a lot of older adults overuse them can increase the risk of developing dementia and, and, and Alzheimer's. So sleep aids work by blocking a certain certain chemical in the brain that's responsible for wakefulness and alertness. But unfortunately, there are devastating side effects like drowsiness, confusion, clouded thinking, and lapses in memory. And the longer the longer that you take these medications, the worse the confusion, drowsiness, clouded thinking, and lapses in memory becomes. Mm. And the longer that you take them, the greater your risk for developing dementia. So for older adults, you know, they'll say, well, how do I, you know, I can't sleep at night, you know, or I get up in the middle of the night and I have to use the restroom or I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't fall back asleep. So that's where the sleep aids come in. But if you're really concerned about it, the best course of action is to speak to your physician about whether or not there are some alternative methods or ways that, you know, you can fall asleep and stay asleep. Don't don't try to do this on your own. And there are safer alternatives to falling asleep or managing sleep. For example, you can, if you engage in a lot of physical activity during the day, your body will be tired by the time it's time for you to lay down and go to sleep. If you keep a consistent sleep schedule, if you go to bed and you wake up at the same time each day, which I know is difficult, especially for us younger people, because on the weekends we want to party all night and sleep in. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's better to keep a consistent sleep schedule, especially if you have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep. Be careful not to drink caffeine products or alcoholic beverages before you're, you go to bed because that disrupts the sleep-wake cycle. A lot of older adults, a lot of people in general, are turning to melatonin supplements, which are actually hormones that are naturally released in our body, in our brain. And that can also facilitate quicker sleep and more restful sleep. Turning off the TV, turning off your cell phone before going to bed, reducing the amounts of light that is in the room that you're in, listening to soothing music, meditating while you're lying in bed, that always works for me. Meditation always puts me to sleep when I'm in bed. So that's a great way to fall asleep. And again, if none of these, if none of these helps, then definitely consult with your physician for, for other alternatives. Wow. Great information today and so helpful to so many people out there. I'm, I'm so excited that you got to tune in 
to us and that Dr. Kim, you got to join us today and and share with us these great techniques and a little bit about yourself. So we have a final yeah. question for you because because this show is really about all things about our bucket, right? Um, what gets mm-hmm. dropped into our bucket that we have to encounter and, and face head on. But but most importantly, the, the upside of it is what is on our bucket list? What do we want to do? Because we all still have dreams and aspirations. I don't care how old someone is. They still have something they want to do. And so we want to ask you, what's on your bucket list? Okay, this is going to sound crazy. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I'm a doctor. I am a professional. I you know, try to carry myself as professional. But I am also an avid connoisseur of music. I'm a music producer. I write music. I sing. I play the guitar. So my ultimate goal is to retire as a musician and a songwriter. (laughs) You're talking to one doctor. Holy cow. Wow. Any any type of music in particular? All kinds. Pop, Christian contemporary, rock, blues, literally anything. I I write and whatever inspires me, that's kind of what I do. So that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I love it. Well, you know what? And and may you have a long, healthy life so that you can. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to you guys. I really appreciate being the invitation to come on to the show and speak. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will have information on the website so that you can reach out to Dr. Kim. There was a couple other things we were going to put on there. We'll, we'll, we'll have some resources up there for you for exercise, activity, and we hope that you'll join us again soon. So signing off. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us for a drop in the bucket. And we'll be seeing you next time.